You are listening to Sparking Wholeness with Erin Carey, where we talk about all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul. Are you ready? Let's do this. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Sparking Wholeness. This is Erin Carey, and today I am sitting with the best-looking guest that I've ever had on this show twice, (laughs) and now for a third time. It is the one and only Richard Carey. He is a licensed professional counselor, has a ton of wisdom, and he's married to me. So we're going to talk about how to support your spouse who struggles with mental health issues. So Richard... Welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me back again. And Richard's going to try not to do this during this episode because he has allergies. East Texas. <laughs> and we live in East Texas, and it's crazy. My allergies have been great, and I have lots of theories as to why, but that's not what this show is about today. All right, so just getting started, we started dating in 2008. So this is 14, almost 14 years ago, which is crazy. And when we were dating, we try to be really open with each other about everything. But I know for me, I had a lot to tell you. And (laughs) starting with, hey, I have a child, I'm a single mom. Um, But I really took my time sharing some of the deepest, darkest things just out of my own protection. And that my one of my biggest secrets, not necessarily a secret, but one of the things I was most afraid to talk to you about was that at the time I had been diagnosed with bipolar disorder and I was still exhibiting some symptoms of that illness, though I haven't experienced symptoms of that illness for probably over a decade. At the time, it was still very fresh. The wound was was open and I was trying to heal. So let's talk a little bit about that. And what was it like for you to find out that I had something called bipolar disorder, which is kind of a scary word? Yeah, I still remember like you kind of even like made it seem like a really big deal. And I, you emailed it to me. I don't know if you remember that, but like that's how I found out you had bipolar disorder was you emailed me because you told me about this, something that you wanted to tell me and told me yet. And it seemed scary, honestly. Yeah, it was in my story that I was going to read for yeah. Celebrate Recovery. Yeah. And you sent it to me, and I, re- I remember where I was at. I was in my office. I opened the email. I read it. And I remember just kind of like, okay. Like, that was kind of my response. I was like, all right, so what? You know? Um, it just, for me, wasn't scary. It was like, okay, you have this thing that you've dealt with. Let's deal with it together. That was my thought. It was like, how do we come together as a couple and and make sure that you are in a good place. Yeah. And I think too, when I think about how scary it was for me, it's because my, in the past, when I had opened up to people about that, I, I didn't have responses the way that you responded. Um, I, I think it scared people. I think that there's an unknown when it comes to that. And you don't have anybody in your family that has that diagnosis or that struggled in that way. And at that point, you had known me for a few months, probably four, five months. We'd been together. We'd been talking and learning more about each other. And you hadn't seen any symptoms from me that would indicate that I was struggling with something like that. Yeah, I didn't I didn't see any symptoms and like you said, like I, I had no experience with any kind of mental health stuff. I mean not that my family doesn't have that stuff in there. It just no one's ever been diagnosed with anything. And and so even like when you first told me, like I I honestly didn't even know what it was or like 
to be concerned. I didn't even think that there was anything for me to be concerned about. And so, yeah, so finding out was kind of a new experience. And then, you know, as things progressed and I did end up seeing some symptoms, you know, there were, I did have concerns and I didn't know how to handle it, but, um, it still wasn't anything that just like scared me to the point of like, I don't know how I can handle this or go forward with this. There was only one time where that really kind of happened. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that. What symptoms did you see in me that you were like, oh, ooh, is, that, is that that thing that you told me about? <laughs> yeah. There was one night in particular. I remember we'd gone out with some friends and, and we had a couple of drinks and we came back. Always the tequila. Yeah, it was tequila. Yeah, it was margaritas. And we came back and I don't know. There was just like a... A switch that flipped in you where it, it, you weren't even acting like yourself like you were almost like kind of skittish around me and nervous around me and like we're, we're having like these like very extreme like statements which is not like you um just very extreme like as far as like you know you probably can't handle this or you know things like that that like you never had said before so that was probably like what i heard from you and then i think the other time was the time where it was like the opposite end where so that was more like kind of felt like i guess what would, would, would have been, uh, excuse me would have been manic type stuff and then later on is when i saw like the depressive side and there was that one time where you just crashed i mean you you just i think we were engaged at that point but um you, you kind of just couldn't do life. I mean, and you laid in bed. And um, I remember coming into town, and that's where you were. You were laying in bed and didn't feel like you could get up. And so I just I just think I just laid by you. And and then, like, you went to bed early. And I remember going downstairs, and your dad was down there, and we opened a beer together. And <laughs> he was like – like, he just reassured me. He was like, you're going like, to be okay. Like, she's going to be okay. And you're going to be okay. And then that is when I reached out to Becky Vinhouse, who was doing our premarital counseling together, um, and just called her and was like, hey, like, this is what happened. And I've never seen this side of her before. I've never seen her crash like this. I've never seen her, like, kind of depressed and down and not able to get out of bed. And that was the only time I ever, like, really questioned did I have what it takes to to be married to you and come alongside you in that because I just had never seen that before. And she was like, Richard, you absolutely have what it takes. Like, you guys are going to be fine. You know, you know, at that point, we'd been together for, what, like, eight months. And she was like, has this ever happened before? I'm like, no. And she's like, so if this happens once a year, could you handle it? I'm like, yeah, I could handle it. And so that's what I remember, like, my first few experiences of, of your symptoms. Like, that's how I responded. You know, the first time was, like, we got into a kind of an argument about it. And then the next morning, everything was fine. The depressive side lasted a little longer and it was probably scarier for me as far as like, can I handle this? Yeah. Yeah. Because my depressive symptoms, and this, I think this is true for a lot of people with bipolar disorder, it's a true physical depression where I cannot get out of bed and there's nothing that, that can get me get me going. Um, and it, it feels like I'm, I'm just stuck in my bed, unmoving, no motivation, no feeling, no joy, no anything. Um, and, and what I find interesting about that story is that I think that that was probably the last time that I have experienced symptoms in in that way. It was during our engagement. Our engagement was a really stressful period for me. And I think that that's important to note is that times of stress, times of change, even good change, that was a good stress and a good change. We were staying up really late talking on the phone 
probably till midnight or later as we were preparing and then we missed each other because we were long distance all of that but that circadian rhythm disruption for me is a big deal the sleep disruption is a big deal and anytime I don't have a consistent routine it can make me maybe a little bit more prone to getting thrown off by my autonomic nervous system going from fight or flight to rest and digest and and having that extreme switch. And so I think that that was the case there is that it was just the intense pressure of getting married. And then the whole fact that my daughter and I were going to now be living with a man and I'm, you know, helping support her transition as well as my own transition it's it's just a lot and that was a lot for me and I think that that's something to keep in mind when you are married to someone or you have someone in your family that does struggle with mental health issues whether it's depression or bipolar or anxiety or whatever it is it's important to know that any change in scheduling and any stress any change whether it's a good or a bad change can make an impact on that mental well-being of that person. And that's, I think even that early experience, I would say has kept me more alert for, okay, how can I, how can I maintain my mental balance here? Because we've had quite a few changes in our marriage. (laughs) Yeah. But, and I think to your point, there have definitely been times where you've had kind of that downward, downward turn, um, it just hasn't been as bad as that one time because you, you, you caught it earlier. Right. And so you were able to kind of say, Hey, this is what's happening. Like, I think I need more rest or I needed some space or time alone, whatever it may have been like you, you were able to catch it sooner. But again, I go back to you and I remember just as I was re- revisiting that memory, the other thing you said during that depressive state was like, you kept asking if I was going to leave you. And I think that was your biggest fear was that at some point this was going to be too much for me and I was going to say mm-hmm. I'm done and that and so I think just for me to reassure you during that time of like I'm not going anywhere you know and I think you just wanted me to hold you at, at some of those mm-hmm. points was just to to know I'm with you and I'm not going anywhere and I I think for people who are struggling like that's one of the things they need to know is like Hey, like I'm for you and I'm with you and I'm going to be by your side in this. Absolutely. And I I think, man, that's, that's so huge. That whole, is this going to be too much for you? Am I going to be too much for you? I think for me, one of my defining beliefs growing up was that I am too much. My emotions are too much. Um, I can't even handle my emotions. They are ruling me. So how in the world is anybody else going to be able to handle being around me with all of my emotions? And I, I think that that's a big fear for a lot of people who struggle is if it's too much for me, how is somebody else going to be able to partner with me and do life with me with in spite of all of this? And so I think that that's, that's a really good point that you bring up. I think that that's what people need to hear. And I, I think also it's, you mentioned now if I feel and and I want to clarify what what those symptoms are because it might be something um, to tune in for if you struggle with mental health issues or if your your spouse does what are those symptoms for me I can tell when I'm not getting enough sleep it's it's going to throw my my mood off and I can start feeling maybe a little more jittery a little more panicky 
couple weeks ago, a um, month ago, however long ago it was, after Easter, over Easter, I had eaten some things that I don't normally eat. I drank some alcohol. Alcohol, clearly, like we mentioned, tequila can be a trigger for me. <laughs> um, but I had had a weekend of celebrating with my family. And so I was, you know, being careful, but I wasn't being rigid about anything. Well, about two days after that weekend, I started feeling some minor panic in my chest. Like I just felt like my heart was just doing these weird blips and I felt like, oh no, I can't breathe. And I was having some symptoms of of panic anxiety. And I thought, well, gosh, what is causing that? I've been sleeping. Okay. I'm fine. Well, I think it was the food. I'm sensitive to the food. I'm sensitive to a lot of sugar. Any kind of blood blood sugar imbalance is going to throw off that the anxiety balance in me and make me feel more panicky, a little more, um, racing in my in my brain have more racing thoughts than usual and so it's something that I just and and I've told Richard I'm like okay this is weird I'm starting to feel a little off I think I need to go to sleep earlier sleep is usually my solution if I start to feel off okay maybe I need to rest tonight or maybe I need to take a down day a lot of times that's sitting in my bed on a Saturday with a book not because I'm depressed but because I'm managing the symptoms or I adjust my schedule we don't schedule as much which we were over schedulers anyway I think um but just being proactive with the schedule and looking at, are we doing too much as a family? I'm very fortunate that Richard is way more laid back than me. Cause if I'd married somebody like me, we'd be going, 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 and I'd be crashing, crashing, crashing. <laughs> so I think that that's, that's a gift right there is that I married somebody that's so different from me. But, um, those are just, those are the symptoms that I struggle with that I see. Have, has there ever been a time that you've worried about me and my mental health beyond those early, early times, early days? Yeah, just like I said, just the times where you have shown a little bit of that downward turn and it's, you know, it's like you're in bed and don't really want to get out of bed. Like that's so uncommon for you that you're not up and doing something around the house or for work or with the kids that anytime I see that. Yeah, there's a little concern. Not so much the Saturday in bed reading a book like I, I consider that you just recharging. But when there's times where you don't want to get out and do something that, you know, and that's consistent that like happens over, you know, several days or weeks, that's when I'm like, okay, something might be happening here. But the other thing, the symptom that I see, and it's something that I, I exhibit as well, is just if you start getting a little bit like snippy, um, (laughs) and I'm the same way. When I start getting snippy, like it's a pretty tell, it's a telltale sign. Like something's not right. Something's off, whether it be anxiety or something else right and that's when i can go okay what's really going on here for for you or for me yeah yeah i think that that's good i think that that's helpful i I think it's good for other people to pay attention now i do want to transition shift a little bit here because in the last few years now and and, you know and I, i did share in my episode that was just me telling my story last week um that I have maintained stability for a long time and any little shift in my mood, I attribute that to regular human emotion, or maybe I'm not, you know, eating as nutrient dense as I'd like, or maybe I'm not getting enough sleep or whatever. But for the most part, I'm managing well. But the last few years, I would say for a good three solid years, we in our marriage have been under a lot of stress, not because of our marriage, but because of outside circumstances. And that has spun you or did spin you into your own depression. Mm -hmm. And we didn't realize, I think we still have yet to realize 
the effect that this played in in your mental health and your depression but i but it did and you you were depressed we can say that now whether it's burnout or depression you were struggling so do you want to share a little bit about that yeah yeah and you know for me uh, i still remember seeing about this episode talking about this i i remember the first time i felt depressed was 2006 um, would just gotten out of a, a relationship that I that I thought maybe had potential for marriage, and um, and then there were some things that went that happened in a, a student ministry that I was leading that led to a lot of students leaving that ministry, um, even after we'd seen a lot of growth uh, the year before, and I felt like what happened was my fault, probably was my fault, and so that was probably the first time I ever felt depressed, and it was like I didn't want to go to work, I didn't want to get out of bed. Um, I was sad a lot. I was very lonely, um, not, not very hope filled, um, struggled, just struggled praying or, um, being alone and with my thoughts, just a, I would say like a, just a broken time in my life. Um, and so then I moved here to Tyler and, you know, started counseling at some point because uh, of other things that were going on in my life. But I, that that was a journey for me to begin to realize where some of the stuff happened for me earlier. And then, yeah. And then like, you know, my, my second kind of, I would say bout with depression was, uh, like eight years ago, uh, right after my grandfather passed away. Um, the same year Roman was born. I just had a lot of, a lot of things going through my head and just thinking about like mortality and all that stuff. And that I was pretty down then, but I would say this last time was the worst, you know, because of how long it lasted. Um, you know, to your point, there was, just things going on in my, my work environment. There were some things going on in friendships um, that we just added. You know, Rhett was only a couple of years old, so it's the first time we've had you know three kids really consistently. Um, COVID happened during that span of time, and so so yeah, I would say for two years, you know, prior to this past year, um, I was in a pretty dark place, and um, I was just very negative. Came home, I think every day negative, and had some sort of story that. I shared that just caused me frustration and sadness. Um, I remember, I think, was it Roman that drew a picture of me, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think like the when I finally realized how bad things had gotten was when Roman drew a picture of our family and he drew me, the picture of me was me laying in bed because that's what he had seen for the previous few months where when I got home, like I ate dinner and then I was like laying in bed or on the weekends, you know, when I came home, I was, I was laying in bed and uh, yeah, to your point, like that to me, when I look back, like I just, um, it was hard to be motivated. It was hard to have energy. It was rest never felt like enough rest. We had a weekend away, the two of us, uh, one weekend where we got to go to the lake and hike and fish. And those are things that restore me usually and refresh me. And even that kind of stuff didn't really do the, the trick. Like I, I still felt that down, lonely, hopeless, burned out sad just feelings and and yeah to your point like we talked about the other day like I still don't know that we know the effects of that time period in in my life as a person and in our in the life of our family which is probably what scares me more than even what it did to me well and I, and I think also aside from that is is the effect that it had on your physical body I think that's important to note too is you were dealing with a lot of physical issues in your body hmm. that were surprising and a lot of them were kind of gut related not necessarily 
what we would think of as gut issues, but you had an emergency appendectomy. Mm-hmm. You had you struggled with hemorrhoids, internal yeah. and pretty, external. I know everybody cool. loves to hear so that, cool. but I mean, like that's a big. De- there's some <laughs> yeah. there's some dysfunction going on. Um, what's the other thing missing? Uh, I had a, a lipoma, like a, mm-hmm. like basically it's like a little fat deposit that showed up like underneath my belly, and then um, and then my knee issues. You know, I remember. Mm-hmm us going for walks and like my knee would just hurt and there was nothing wrong with it. Um, and that was during that time where I was feeling depressed. Like I was doing a lot of right things to, to feel better, but they just weren't working. And, um, you know, we, we've talked to before, like how I, I still think some of that stuff shows up in my body so that when we go back to Dallas, sometimes my knee will start to hurt. Like, mm-hmm. and it's such a weird connection, but I do believe they're connected, that there is a, a mind body connection to, that time period in my life so that when I go back to Dallas and I remember that time period, my knee flares up. And it, again, there's nothing, there's no damage that we've had it checked. There's no structural issues. There's no, everything's in place. Everything's, you know, like it should be, but my knee will just hurt. And yeah. I think that's all connected. Yeah. And and then there was another infection that you had where you were put on massive rounds of antibiotics that who knows what, how the antibiotics further, um, contributed to any of the the mental health issues that you were having, and so there are a lot of connections there that I do think our body oftentimes when we're going through something, when our brain can't fully process it, our body picks up on it because, like I say, every cell in your body listens to your thoughts. Your thoughts don't just get stored in your brain; they get stored in the cells of your body. And so I think that that's important too. Is that when we're talking about mental health, we are talking about physical health. <laughs> the brain is in the body, and it affects every single organ in the body as well. Well, and you, and you, I remember you know the kind of wake up moment for me was when we were walking together and I was talking about how bad I felt. And, and I finally said to you, like, Aaron, I need you to tell me like how you're doing or how you're feeling about this. And you said, you know, this whole time, Richard, you've been able to kind of come home and act the way you needed to. You've treated the kids. Well, you've played with them. You've engaged with them. She's, and then you said, but I'm afraid, I'm afraid at some point, like you're not going to be able to do that anymore. And you're going to start acting out with them and it's not going to go well. And that's when I was like, well, that I don't want, my depressive symptoms or burnout or whatever you want to call it to have an impact in them. And so I've got to get my act together. And that's when I, that's when I started counseling because I, again, I was doing a lot of right things as far as like what I was eating and I was getting exercise, but I started doing counseling for myself to, to find some answers and find some healing. Yeah. I'm so glad that you did. You found a counselor and you even had a, um, life coach as well. Mm-hmm. And which is why we need all the tools in the toolbox. Like I like to say, um, sometimes counseling is, is one tool and sometimes you need another tool to go alongside of it. And I think that that was really helpful for you to talk through things, not to people who knew you personally, especially not in your work environment, because people are biased. If you're in a work environment that's creating stress for you and you're seeking counsel from somebody that's also in that same stressful work environment, it's it, it, it's not, it might not be the safest place to seek counsel. And so I think getting outsider opinion was really helpful. And then you had a few close friends um, that you could trust to talk through some things as well. And even my parents, mm-hmm. you know, are, are, were good sounding boards during that time. And so 
I think, yeah, we need to have all hands on deck when we're struggling. And you did, and to your credit, like what you're saying, you were walking, you were doing the movement thing. We eat very healthy at our house. Um, I think during COVID, we probably drank more than we needed to. And you're a bourbon guy. <laughs> you you like bourbon. And so um, that's that was a nice handy thing to have, you know, at hand. But other than that, you know, it was, you were doing as much as you could at the time. And ultimately, we had to make a change and get outside of our environment. And that's what made the biggest difference. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think even like as we transition from, you know, from our time there to our time here, you know, I'm doing a lot of the same things to take care of myself. They're, they look different, right? But um, seeing my the work environment change and the people that I'm working with and for um, just the time that I have with you and the kids like there, there are a lot of things that have changed externally that have changed how I have felt um, but at the same time like I maybe I have leaned in a little more with um, exercise I've leaned in a little more just with my thought life and the way that I approach my thought life I was just again I was just in such a negative mindset previous to this that being here and being positive and thinking about being just waking up every morning and really intentionally practicing gratitude. And those things have made a big impact as well. In, in addition to the external factors that changed. Yeah. So with that, we know for sure statistically that if you're listening to this, either you or someone, you know, is currently struggling with mental health issues. So Richard, what would you say to somebody who is married to somebody who is currently or in a relationship with somebody who is actively struggling with their mental health. What, what are some things that you would say as a, as a counselor? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I, I think the biggest thing that I try to encourage people with is to, well, just for the person who's struggling to take ownership of, of what they're dealing with and for the person who is in a relationship with them to support that, right? To support any efforts that person takes to to address what's going on, whether it be depression or anxiety or grief or anything, to really support them in that endeavor, right? Whether that's counseling or one of the things that you've done for me since we've been here, right? Is that, like I said a minute ago, I, I have leaned more into my physical health. So I, I do go to the gym three or four days a week. A um, couple of those are with a trainer. I do go play tennis, you know, once a week right now. And in the summer, we've already talked about it. I'm probably going to go three or four days a week because I know how good it is for me to, to play that game. I know how good it is for me to be in the sun for an extended, extended period of time. I think about yesterday, like we went to the, the pool yesterday for like two hours and I slept like a champ last night. I think part of it was mm-hmm. my time in the sun. I think it impacted my sleep last night. And so, so just again, so support any endeavor or pursuit a person makes towards uh, their health and and what that allows the person who's in a relationship with them to do is to not be in charge of the other person's health right and we talk about differentiation talk about codependency um, you start getting yourself in a lot of trouble if you start taking it upon yourself to fix the brokenness in someone else or to fix the issues that the person is dealing with and I think that when I look back on our time in Dallas, that was one of the things you did well was you listened to me and you supported me in in my pursuit of, of better health. And it wasn't a, an issue of you fixing it for me. It really was you supporting me doing that for myself. So those are two big things I would say. 
That's huge. I think to that, though, there are also people who are in a relationship with somebody who's struggling, but they're denying that they're struggling. They don't believe they have a problem. What then? What do you do then? How do you address that without being codependent and without not staying in your lane, in your hula hoop, as we've talked about on the show before? Yeah, I think all you can do really is reflect what you're seeing and the changes that you're seeing. Like, this isn't Mm -hmm. what I've seen from you in the past. Like, here are things that concern me and share those as they impact the relationship. But ultimately, like, you're not going to be able to force that person to change and you're not going to convince them to change. They're going to have to come to grips with that for themselves if they, they want to see a long lasting change. I have, I have guys all the time. Um, and I'm saying like men who will show up in my office and I ask them why they're here, what they want to see happen in our time together. And there's so many of them who will say, my wife made me come. <laughs> and those guys will come to three or four sessions. And as soon as any little symptom that they had popping up starts to get a little bit better, they stop coming before the real work ever began. And and so really, I think it's really important to, again, reflect and share how their their depression or anxiety or grief or whatever it may be is impacting their relationship or impacting the family. Um but not to the point of forcing them to change because it's just not going to be, it's not going to be natural and it's not going to take if, as you know, like it would if they did it on their own. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's, it, it, it's so hard it and there hard. it's because it, sometimes you can't see it when you're in it. I don't think that you saw it mm-hmm. when you were in it. I know the times when I've been in my own you know, moments of instability and I don't see it. Now, these days, I am so sensitive to it. I see every little tiny precursor to it. Mm -hmm. And so that's huge. And so, I mean, I've had to, and I guess that goes back to advocating for yourself. And I have to treat myself like I'm living with a chronic illness. Like I take great care with everything. Um, There are times, you know, when I think I've asked you, I'm like, was my diagnosis really, was it real? Like, am I really, do I really have this bipolar disorder? I just don't know if I have the symptoms anymore. But part of that is because I am so careful about minding my mind and looking at, okay, what have I been doing that's nourishing for me lately? What have I been doing to take care of myself? This isn't about self-care, like some indulgent, I'm going to go get a pedicure. This is about what do I need to do to make sure that I feel good so that I can do what I what I need to do and and live out my purpose and serve my family and to help my kids and to be present for my husband. So I have to take care of myself and I have to put some different safeguards in place even if that means, you know, being a little bit more extreme about food or being a little bit more extreme about um, you know, I'm I just I have to be on alert. I have to be vigilant. And I think that that's, that's okay. It's just hard because I don't want to go back to where I was. And I, it's so easy to go, oh, I'm fine. I'm okay. I'm just going to keep going. I'm not struggling with anything. I'm fine. I think that's where a lot of people get themselves in trouble too, as they're not staying alert. They ease up their grip a little bit. Yeah. Well, I think the other thing, going back to your original question, I think the other thing that people can do when they're in a relationship with someone who is is struggling is to offer support, right? And that support can look in a lot of a lot of different ways. One could be 
hey, if 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 you want to go to see a counselor, I'll I'll go with you. I have couples who show up all the time, where it's pretty clear one person in a relationship is in a in a not so good place, and and then right as a professional, I can look at that person and go, hey, I, I know y'all are having some uh, some relational issues or some things that are showing up there, but I, I think it'd be a good idea for you to to come on your own or go see another one of our counselors on our team individually to address some of the things that are going on for you. Um, but also when it, support can look like, um, you know, in the past you've asked me to, you know, to try some new, uh, nutritional plan. Right. And we'll, you know, I'll join you in that. I'll go, yeah, I, I don't mind eating such and such for a couple of weeks or a month. Um, or like we did, you know, going on walks together or, or going to the gym together. Or like last summer, we, we, we played tennis together. Like I think offering your support in those ways can be helpful as well. You know, just practical ways that I can show up and we can both be for our own mental health. Yeah. What about with kids? What do we do to to protect is not really the word I'm looking for, but I guess for lack of a better word, protect our kids from the effect of our own mental health struggles. Do we share? Do, do you recommend that? I mean, what's the age that you let your kids know? Yeah, I'm, I, I have a sickness or yeah, I, I struggle with this. Like, what do you do with that? Because the kids are feeling the effects of everything that's going on at, at the adult level for sure. Yeah, I don't. I don't know that I have an age, um, and I, I've not done. To be honest, I've not done enough reading to even know like what experts suggest on that. But I, I know for us, we've tried to be as honest as we could, right? And there have been times where I've told the kids that the daddy was was feeling sad or not feeling himself. I think that's the phrase I've used. Like I, I'm not not feeling like myself, you know. And to let them know that, and to let them know that's okay, you know. Um, and to even talk about some of the feelings that, you know, that I've experienced or felt and, but also allow them to, to share their own, you know, um, and just make those, I don't know, I, I guess to, uh, to say like normalize it, to normalize that it's okay to have feelings that, that don't feel good or feel right. Um, and that you want to change, um, and for them to know that's okay. Yeah, I, I like that idea of normalizing. I think that we need to normalize the human emotion experience for everybody. Um, that's where we get quick into wanting to pathologize something that's going on. Like, oh my gosh, I'm just, I'm so sad. I've been sad for days. I must have depression. I'm going to go to the doctor. I'm going to get a quick fix, which some people might need. That might be the thing that you need. It might be because there's a difference between situational depression and clinical depression. You were in a situational depression that was maybe veering toward clinical depression because it had been going on so long, but we need to be able to know the difference of, you know, you're grieving. And so, yeah, you're going to be depressed and you're going to be anxious and you're probably going to start experiencing some weird symptoms in your body. When people go through grief, they have all sorts of lab markers that go wonky. You know, stuff happens in your physical body as an effect of that stress going on at the brain level. And so I think that there's, there's a normalization that needs to happen that Sometimes I'm going to be more anxious than, than normal. Sometimes I'm going to be more depressed. Sometimes, you know, but it's it's when it's debilitating and when it is preventing you from being able to engage with yourself, with your own self-care, being able to do things like get up and take a shower, go to work, 
stuff like that, or when it's really going to start interfering with taking care of your family. That's where it also becomes a a danger zone. And so being alert for that, because ideally we want to stop things from getting too bad. We have to be self-aware and do a check-in, you know, like I do a check-in, like, how am I feeling today? I know if I have a Starbucks drink, I'm going to feel like trash for hours. I was just talking to our daughter, Isabel, about that earlier, that I just don't do well with Starbucks. It makes me feel weird. I don't know if it's the syrups they put in it or the coffee itself. I have no idea, but I don't feel good. And so I have to be ready for that. So it's just knowing yourself. And it's kind of what we talked about in our first, I think it was our first episode together, is just basic emotional regulation. We have to be self-aware and know what's going on and be able to check in instead of ignoring and just pushing forward like so many of us often were taught. Yeah, ignoring, pushing forward, numbing out, distracting, right? All those things aren't going to allow us to deal with whatever feelings we have, whatever issues need to be addressed. Like it's just going to push them further, further back or further, further down, which is only going to resurface later and probably not just resurface, but resurface um, worse. It, this reminds me of that. What's that Thanos thing you do with couples? I think this would be a good time because if you don't know how to check in with yourself, maybe you're working on self-awareness and you're still not quite sure how to make that happen. I think that's where it's it, it comes in handy to have a partner and be in a relationship with somebody that you can bounce ideas back and forth with and, and share feelings. And so you have this thing called Thanos. Thanos. Fan- not, not, oh, not, I'm thinking about Avengers. Not, not Thanos. <laughs> no, no snapping happening here. Thanos with an F as in oh Frank. Oh, gosh. Um, and, you know, it's not something that is that I came up with. In fact, you could probably Google Thanos and you could find it um, online somewhere. Yeah, and you'll, you'll find it there. Um, in fact, what's funny is we actually were in a group of people and a couple had gone to counseling and they're the ones who told us about this. Um, so Thanos. So it's just a communication tool, right, um, for couples or, I mean, really anybody in a relationship with. I, I sometimes even give it to parents to use with their kids. But you just go through the five letters as an acronym. So Thanos just means to reveal. And so the letter F is for feelings. And so you literally take turns sharing how you felt that day. I encourage people to share at least five. And we'll even um, ask them to find, like, to Google a feelings wheel, especially for those of us who struggle with naming our emotions or naming our feelings. So just Google a feelings wheel. And pull that up and just pick out five feelings you felt that day and share them. And your partner's job is just to listen. And if you want to share stories during that time of why you felt that way during the day, you can. Um, And your partner's job is just to say, okay, what I heard you say is that you felt um, surprised, conflicted, excited, you know, confused and um, hopeful. And that's it, you know, and if you want to, again, share the stories, you can, but it really is just five feelings. And then the other person, it's their turn to share, and they just share five feelings. So you take turns on feelings, okay, and then you move down to the letter A, which is for affirmations. And so your job is just to share one affirmation with your partner. Um, Aaron, I I think you have an incredibly um, compassionate heart. 
right? So it's not an appreciation. It's not, hey, thanks for taking out the trash. It's like it's a character quality. It's something about their personality that you appreciate in them. And um, so you share one appreciation with the other person. And so, you know, Aaron's job would be to say, what I heard you say, Richard, is that you feel like I have a compassionate heart. And I would say, absolutely. Just to make sure that she clearly heard and understood what I was sharing with her. And so, again, both parties share um, the affirmation. Then you move down to the letter N for needs. So just what's one thing you need that day or the next day. And it can be uh, like emotional support, but also can be very practical. Um, hey, I need you tomorrow to pick up the dry cleaning. Um, or tomorrow I need some alone time. So can you just give me an hour where you take care of the kids and I just get some time to myself? Uh, with a need, um, you're not always going to have a need. Um, but also... Um, the, the the reason for sharing the need isn't to expect that it's definitely going to happen. It's not always going to happen. It's just to be able to let your partner know, let your spouse know, this is where I'm at. Um, so need, then you move down to letter O, which is for ownership. And that's just, again, like if there's anything you need to make amends for or take responsibility for. So, hey, I know yesterday you asked me to pick up the dry cleaning, but um, I didn't make it today. I, my schedule got busier and got away from me. I need to own that, take responsibility for that. I'll do it tomorrow. Um, or there might be something more, you know, more serious and more egregious that you have to take ownership for, you know, Hey, I need to know, I need to tell you that this, this weekend I lied to you and I apologize for that. And, um, well, you know, I won't let it happen again, but it's just take ownership and there may not be an ownership. So again, with letter N letter O, you may not have a need or an ownership, but if you do share them, um, and then you move down to the letter S, which, um, some people will use for sobriety and some people will use for spiritual growth. And so with sobriety as the partner, uh, that's listening, you want to celebrate that. So if someone says, Hey, it's been 21 days since I had a drink or it's been three months since I've looked at pornography, you know, we want to celebrate that, man. That's awesome. Keep going. I'm proud of you. It's exciting. Uh, or also could be like a spiritual growth moment. Like this morning I read, uh, the first part of Romans with our son Roman. And so it could be, Hey, this morning I was just reminded as I read that chat, that verse with Roman, that we are called to be servants of Jesus. And that's what I reminded him and reminded myself that today I want to be open to that. And so that's what I learned. That's how I grew spiritually today. And so again, you'll both share a, either a sobriety or a spiritual growth moment. And then and that's it. And so you just make sure that each time you're sharing that the person's listening and, um, and that's how that goes. Thanos. Not Thanos. Not Thanos. Oh, well. It sounds cool that way. Well, thank you, Richard. That is awesome and super helpful. I think it's going to help a lot of people. We actually have the garage door repairman on his way. He's going to come fix our garage door for maybe the third time. Really annoying. So if a garage door company wants to sponsor this episode, I'd be thrilled. But that's about all we have. Do you have anything else to add, Richard? No, I, I think, well, I mean, yes, I guess I do. I said no, and then I started to talk. Um, yeah, I, I just would say, like, uh, to your point earlier, Aaron, I think it was really a really important point that uh, you need to advocate for your own mental health and support your spouse, partner, friends, and their advocacy of their own mental health and do that as best as you can um, practically and uh, emotionally uh, alongside of them. And this goes not just for mental health, but for any chronic disease, chronic illness that impairs physical function, because there are, I know that applies to a whole lot of people out there. So um, hope this is helpful for you. I love getting to sit down with my husband because he's kind of my favorite. So um, thank you again, Richard, for being on the show. Thank you again for having me. 
the tiniest spark leads to the biggest blaze. And I hope that today's episode sparks you on a journey to healing and wholeness. Thanks for listening to Sparking Wholeness. For more information on what I do and my coaching programs, or maybe just to reach out and say, hey, find me at sparkingwholeness.com or on Instagram at sparkingwholeness. Have a fabulous week.